Today on Ag News Daily. You see all these stacks of paper right here? Mm-hmm. This is all the research and the number crunching that goes into trying to guess these reports. Well, I think wheat has certainly gotten the attention lately. Good afternoon and happy Friday, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Delaney Howell, and I am one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily Podcast, and glad to be back today, along with my co-host, Mike Pearson. Well, Delaney, we are glad to have you back. You are, of course, over in Chicago, as we talked about yesterday. You have been at the CME Group uh, World Headquarters there in Chi-Town. And uh, Mm -hmm. what have you been doing? Well, yesterday we took a market master's course is what they called it. And that was put on by the CME group and also the national association of farm broadcasters. And they gave us access to people from the CME brokers, traders, speculators, hedgers. We really just went through the markets. um, And it was kind of like a little course to help us become better understanders and better communicators to the producers and to our listeners about the markets. Perfect. So, I mean, what'd you learn? Where should we put our money? I learned. I don't know. I learned a lot of stuff. I learned a lot of stuff. A lot, a lot. Options are still not still not clear on those, but just there's just a lot of resources out there. I know a lot of farmers, you know, are not comfortable trading and hedging and selling their grain. And a lot of times they just take cash prices. But the CME group has a lot of great resources on their website. Um, you know, to help farmers learn and understand how to market their own grain. So I'm not going to say what you should do with your products. We didn't really even talk about that a whole lot, to be honest. I mean, obviously, the quarterly grain and acreage report comes out today. So we'll talk to Ted Seifert later about that. But it'll be interesting. One thing I did hear, however, that was maybe a little shocking that one of the brokers mentioned this morning is that there's been a lot of talk on the trade floor of the Chicago Board of Trade. One, that the floor is going to very soon just be evolved out and no longer a platform to trade on. And two, um, in the very, well, they don't know near, I shouldn't say near future, but, you know, we've heard this statistic that in by 2050, we're going to have 9 billion people to feed. And, Traders are worried that we don't have the acreage to supply that kind of corn and grains. So that's a little, yeah, a little scary, but. Well, then they better get out there and bid up the price of corn, beans, and wheat so farmers <laughs> have the incentive to grow it. You know, that's yeah. what it all comes back to. Well, no, they're just saying, they're saying that the supply is going, we're going to have so many people that even the stockpiles we have built up are going to just diminish and we're not going to have, we're literally not going to have enough acres to produce the food we need to feed everyone. Bah, technology, science. I, I mean, know. You look at how fast yields have increased. And once the prices are there to justify greater investment in genetics, I believe farmers can, can meet any demand. And not only that, I believe that in, what, 30 years, by 2050, if prices have been strong enough to allow farmers to make those investments, we'll be sitting on big stockpiles of feed grains yet again. That's just the nature of agriculture. We respond to prices, and uh, we tend to tend to over-respond, which is the well, picture you know, we're in this year. Everybody has different opinions, which is fine. That's that's why 
that they made that good point too. That's why trading is so important and has evolved so much because so many different players are allowed to enter the markets now because you can trade online, you can trade from your home, you can trade in your pajamas really if you wanted to. But just the diverse backgrounds of all the different traders now, it's really interesting. Yeah, and that's what that's what makes a market. Different opinions are what mm-hmm. sets a price. And really quick, I just wanted to say, um, for those of you that are on Facebook and or Twitter, I did some video of the Chicago floor today. On Twitter, it there's a video of when the floor opened at 8.30 this morning. And it was still pretty exciting. Obviously not what it used to be when everybody traded in the pits, but still pretty neat. So check it out on our Twitter page, at Ag News Daily. Perfect. Well, so hopefully everybody will go and look at that. And in the meantime, Delaney, what have you noticed in the world of ag news? All right. Well, in the world of ag news, Secretary Purdue has been in China. I believe he got there yesterday and they served some Nebraska prime beef in their ceremony to formally mark the return of U.S. beef, which we've been talking about for so long now. And this is part of the U.S.-China 100-day action plan that was announced by the Trump administration. So we're really excited to see where this market goes. And Secretary Purdue will also be traveling to Shanghai, where he is going to tour some major Chinese supermarkets. So that'll be pretty neat. All right. And there was a report out by Reuters. They'd gone into several grocery stores in China All right. and talked to consumers. And uh, there's a I think it's a pretty great quote here. This is a woman who was shopping on Thursday at a Sam's Club store in Beijing. And she says, quote, I'm a frequent buyer of steak, so I can tell the quality by its color and marbling. And she selected a thirty one dollar pack of newly arrived U.S. steak over her usual choice from Australia. So we are already, at least in that instance, picking up a little bit of market share in the Chinese, you know, grocery store shopping arena. That's awesome. Yeah. When I was in Japan, we went to grocery, a grocery store. And I just remember it was so different than the U.S. grocery stores because, first of all, they place a really high quality on or a high emphasis on quality. So the uh, manager that was leading us around that day said, do you see this meat? And then he was referencing the meat on the shelves. He said, this is, this is not the same meat. If you came back in in a few hours, that would be on the shelf because they're constantly pulling in and restocking shelves because they want fresh produce. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Well, yeah. Actually, Delaney, while you're talking about Japan, uh, there was kind of an interesting, interesting report out of Japan. So yesterday, the uh, Japanese Central Bank was uh, at a seminar, and uh, Yatuka Harada, who is a member of the board of the Bank of Japan, told this seminar yesterday that Hitler's economic policies had been appropriate and wonderful. Mm. And those are two words we typically don't associate <laughs> with uh, right. yeah, German dictator Adolf Hitler. So today, the uh, the Bank of Japan came out and it said, uh, The Bank of Japan views with regret the fact that the remarks of one of its board members have become a source of misunderstanding, and we will see to it that such an incident will not repeat itself. And uh, basically, the Bank of Japan never issues an apology over mm. board member statements. But this one was uh, caught in a flack that they did. I just thought that was interesting. That is interesting. Well, I have other news coming from China. 
one of the uh, farm broadcasters here at the event was giving me some tips about some up- upcoming events. And he said, so I have a story now to back it up, but the U.S. Soybean Export Council announced that ch- the Chinese Ministry of Commerce is traveling to Iowa, actually, on July 13th. And it's speculated that they're going to make a commitment to buy a record volume of U.S. soybeans. So currently, the record commitment has to exceed 13.4 million metric tons because that's how much China agreed to buy in February of 2012. So we'll see where that heads, if they're going to sign an even bigger deal than that. Well, it certainly makes sense. I mean, given that bean right. prices are down a buck in the past six weeks, this would be a time to uh, mm-hmm. make a large purchase if I were in uh, China. Right. Well, we've been talking quite a bit. We spoke, uh, Delaney, as you listened to Elaine and I's conversation yesterday. We talked quite a bit about wheat and what's going on mm-hmm. with the wheat market. Minneapolis wheat was on fire yesterday. It's back on fire today. And uh, there was a report out yesterday that the Syrian wheat crop is expected to fall far short of government forecasts. And uh, basically, this is understandable. The uh, A large part of Syria's agricultural heartland has been under the control of the Islamic State since 2014. And naturally, that's not great for yields. So it looks like that Syria is going to need to be importing wheat as we get through 2017 and into 2018. And, uh, you know, I you hate to see people suffering in that situation, but they're going to be buying wheat, which is it mm. kind of what we need in the uh, the world of feed grains. We need uh, folks out there buying it and uh, not producing near as much to chew through this glut. Well, you know, speaking of wheat, the U.S. might be a good market to fill that, especially because today or yesterday, maybe Canada released some statistics showing that wheat is no longer their number one crop. Do you know what is their number one crop now, Mike? What is it, Delaney? It's canola. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So canola planting rose 12% this year to a record 22.8 million acres from the year earlier, and wheat fell 3.7% to 22.4 million acres. So they're really close margin there of how many acres planted of each of those, but canola, they say, is now the number one crop produced in Canada. There we go. Canola's edging out wheat up north of the border. Yeah. Well, if we look south of the border, Delaney, you and I have talked quite a bit about the the issues going on between the U.S. and Mexico with regard to sugar trade. And Mm -hmm. uh, yesterday, well, perhaps earlier this week, but yesterday President Trump really promoted the the new sugar deal that was negotiated with Mexico. And uh, most producers of sugar have, have been in favor of it. However, Senator Pat Toomey, the Republican from Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, of course, home to the Hershey Company, utilizer of much sugar, came out against the deal. He said, quote, that this deal actually makes the problem worse because it will encourage higher sugar prices, which would be bad for producers. And he says this deal threatens nearly 40,000 jobs in the Keystone State. So not everybody's pleased uh, with that Mm. new U.S.-Mexico sugar deal that uh, was announced earlier this week. All right. The only other story I have for today, Mike, is 
the Competition Bureau has reached an agreement about their approval for the DuPont and Dow merger. And the Bureau concluded that DuPont should sell a portion of its global herbicides business and research. And DuPont has agreed to that. So they're going to sell their R&D branch to FMC Corporation. Okay. And that was something that I think they floated a little while ago, but now it sounds like that's going to happen. Yes. So this sale... um, The sale includes DuPont's Canadian activities in cereal crops, cereal crop herbicides, as well as Precision Pack, which is a popular herbicide apparently in Canada. And the Competition Bureau is a a ruling entity in Canada, just for reference. Oh, gotcha. I was going to say that wasn't a bureau that uh, I'd heard of in this country. No. But, you know, I don't know everything that's in the government. So, (laughs) well, now... Delaney, we are going to have a conversation with our good friend Ted Seifert here, and I was thinking that maybe we ought to cover the quarterly stocks and acreage reports before we take a look at how the market's closed. Let's get Ted's thoughts on how brokers and traders are responding to this thing, and then we'll see how the market's finished up. How's that sound? Yeah, I think that sounds like a good idea. I am live now with Ted Seifert, one of our regular market analysts, but he also works for Zaner Ag Hedge. That's his real day job. He can't just be on the podcast. Yeah, you know. But Ted, (laughs) today we had the quarterly grain and stock report come out. But before we get to that, I just wanted to ask, last night we met up for drinks. (laughs) The day before a big report, what are you doing to prepare and plan for something like this? Okay, you see all these stacks of paper right here? Mm -hmm. This is all the research and the number crunching that goes into trying to guess these reports. And uh, I got to say, we did a pretty good job on this report. Uh, we were one of the higher acreage numbers for corn, and, and uh, we were leaving soybeans for the most part unchanged or just slightly lower on, on soybeans. And that's really how that report came out. Our quarterly grain stocks numbers, I'm kind of kicking myself just a little bit because the numbers that we saw today were very similar to the numbers that I came up with at first. But then I, I made some sort of last-minute tweaks to those numbers because I was I was sort of questioning myself. Um, even still, I, I didn't tweak them that much, so we came in pretty close to what the trade was expecting. At least we were um, closer than corn than the average trade guess, uh, but my original number was really spot on. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of prep that goes into this, about a week and a half work, uh, worth of uh, number crunching. Uh, as far as the acreage number is concerned, we survey all of our clients to find out what they're doing and changes that, that they're making. We sort of spread that out over over their areas, so we try to you know quilt together sort of a map, um, and then we use some statistical analysis of what we've seen in the last 15 years of, of USDA reports as well. So we kind of you know uh, work those two together to come up with our average number. Uh, so there's a lot of different things, and actually we started working on this on the acreage part of this report about a month ago. Quarterly grain stocks we've been working on for the last week. Well, Ted, let's break it down here. We've got big moves on the market today, and we're talking here just a little afternoon, so we haven't yet seen the close. But uh, two things jump out at us. First and foremost, the wheat market's gone nuts. What's Woo-hoo! driving that? Is this still the spring spring wheat led rally? Yeah, absolutely. And today added a little bit of credence to that uh, because the spring wheat number acreage number came in below expectations, even I think below the range of expectations. If I'm not, if I'm yeah, correct, I, I think you're correct. So, you know, while we did see uh, right when the number came out, we spiked, we were up 50 plus cents and then we pulled back. uh, We dropped about 30 cents off the high on some profit taking, myself included. 
Um, the story's still good there. I mean, we're really having a hard time up in the Dakotas. We've watched the crop conditions drop dramatically for spring wheat. Um, and that is a wheat that's just not easily replaced. And, and there's not a lot of outlets in the world to get that. So that's a, that's, that's, that's the one wheat that really can go sharply higher if we continue to have issues. And, um, I think a lot of the damage has been done up there. And then you put lower acreage on top of that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see $8 to $8.50 in Minneapolis wheat at some point. So, um, you know, I'm pretty optimistic. I think that all kind of depends on what happens sort of with, with some of the other areas in the world. And it really depends on if the speculators get very involved with that. But for right now, um, you know, I think you buy whatever dips you see in Minneapolis wheat. And then soybeans, Ted. This was one that we saw a $20 million drop in uh, their, their uh, quarterly stocks. Is that mm-hmm. what's driving beans today? You know, I don't think so, Mike. Um, yes, 20 million below expectations uh, on quarterly grain stocks, and then acreage came in a little bit lower than the average trade guess. But I do believe that there was a fair amount of people out there that really believed we were going to see a, a, a planted acreage number for soybeans well above 90, maybe closer to 91 or 92 million acres. Hmm. And I think that's where we've seen a fair amount of pressure in the soybean market lately. So seeing that 89.5 million acres for soybeans was kind of a relief for beans uh, on top of a, a lower than expected quarterly grain stocks number. And then off, you know, off we go. Um, going back to that quarterly grain stocks number, in 963, that does kind of suggest that the USDA is too high on their, on their final ending stocks number unless we have really poor fourth quarter demand. And so far, as far as export sales have gone, it doesn't seem that way. And also the last crush number we saw was a nice rebound, an unexpected rebound from what we had been seeing for the previous four or five months. Uh, so that quarterly grain stocks number, while it, it wasn't a shockingly bullish number, it was well within the range of expectations and it was only 20 million bushels below the average trade guess. It is really quite supportive for soybeans going forward. And then at a 66% good to excellent rated soybean crop, you know, if we don't have that 92 million acres of soybeans, which the USDA says we don't, um, it makes us worry a bit more now at this point. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things coming together for soybeans here today. Um, and this is sort of that pressure release valve, and that's what we're seeing. But now it is time, and now we're getting into the month of July. I think we're starting to worry a lot more about weather for both cor- uh, corn and soybeans. Ted, that brings up a good point. How does the USDA count weather into their acreage report is that a factor when they're doing acreage well absolutely you know as far as weather was concerned during planting season it was not a very easy planting season i really do think we would have had close to 92 million acres of corn if we had got off to a fast and furious start to the planting season you can see even with the troubles that we had we planted more corn than what the most most of the trade was looking for we wanted to plant more corn we just kind of ran out of time uh with the sloppy weather that we had um, so, you know, that, that had a big effect on, 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 so on corn and soybean acreage because, again, I think bean acreage might have come down more than what we saw, or actually it stayed unchanged, but I think bean acres could have come down, um, you know, but the, the way that that planting season played out and, and the wet planting season that we had really kind of played into what the intentions were, and that's kind of where it ended up at. Pretty close to it, at least. So, Ted, here's the big question. We have seen grains, well, we've seen commodities in general, but in particular the grains, just under pressure. There was this massive wet blanket of huge short sales taken by spec funds. Commodities were unsexy. Is this rally, is the news from the USDA enough to get those positions reversed? Are we now moving back to the upside? 
Well, I think wheat has certainly gotten the attention lately. Uh, and I think the wheat market has now gotten the attention of the speculative market. I was down on the floor doing some commentary on Thursday. And um, there was a guy doing commentary right after me for CNBC who doesn't really talk about grains markets. He talks about uh, crude oil, gold, interest rates. He's an interest rate trader. And um, they were asking him about wheat, you know, and, and I thought it was kind of funny because <laughs> I was kind of raising my hand saying, hey, I got this question, bud. But, <laughs> but, uh, but the fact that CNBC is now asking about wheat, I, I think really, you know, means that the speculative crowd is, 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 is interested. Um, and, and I think the strength that you've seen in Chicago wheat in the last couple of days is that speculative crowd coming in and maybe they don't have access to or maybe not savvy enough to go to the, the Minneapolis wheat or understand the difference between the different wheats. They just look at the higher volume wheat and say, hey, Chicago's where we should go. Uh, so I think a lot of the strength that we've seen in the last couple of days, which has been significant, is coming from that speculative crowd. I think uh, what's happening today in soybeans on a chart, if we can close up here, that will start to, to catch the speculative crowd's interest a little bit. Um, I, I think weather going forward with some hot and dry conditions coming in will start to catch the speculative crowd's interest in corn as well. So, yeah, I, I think the tide is changing. I think the weather mentality has gone from, you know, yes, there's issues, but it's June. So we still have time to come back to, hey, we're getting into July and there's still issues. And now we're while we got some rain in some areas, we're still looking at a warmer, drier forecast during pollination. This is maybe a concern now at this point. I think that mentality's changed. So you, I wonder if we're in the process of, of the last couple of days into next week, seeing that mentality change in the market and maybe seeing more upside potential here. Uh, one other thing I'd like to say about corn is that, yeah, while the, the acreage number came in higher than expected, let's look at where these numbers increased. You know, and in, in particular, you look at uh, uh, North Dakota. North Dakota up 400,000 acres. First of all, I don't know how that happened because all the, everybody I'm talking to in North Dakota was saying less corn acres, less corn acres. And I, I speak with a lot of bigger operators in North Dakota, so I don't know where that came from. But even then, if we, if we increase planted acreage in corn, 400,000 400, acres in North Dakota, how do you think that crop's looking right now, Mike? Yeah, it's certainly not getting better as this dryness continues. Yeah, the other big, the other big one, or the second biggest one, that was the biggest increase in acreage that we saw on a state by state basis. The other big one was Nebraska, which they've had, they've got some spotty issues there too. And if they don't get some rain pretty soon, they're really under that that strong heat, that hot uh, ridge or the high pressure ridge that we're looking to come in middle of July. So that kind of offsets some of that increase in acreage as well. Um, and then, you know, Michigan was, was the other one with the 200,000. There, there are a couple other ones that, that went up 200,000, uh, uh, Iowa was, did as well. Uh, so yeah, okay. We have higher acreage, but if you look at where they are, that might have us turning around and, and kind of scratching at the yield number a little bit. So while it was a little bit of a bearish corn, a bearish report for corn, and you could say maybe there's a little bit more cushion for a weather issue this year, when you break down the numbers, yeah, maybe it's not as bearish as what the original numbers or the, the, the face value numbers were when we first saw them. Hey, Ted, well, we really appreciate you taking the time today. You know, today is a busy day here in the office. Absolutely. My pleasure, Delaney. Thanks for having me. Again, a big thank you to Ted and a big thank you on a personal note for uh, buying me a drink last night. <laughs> Delaney. I, well, you know. On a you know, Thursday night. Well, 
we got done with our session and then everybody headed to a, a cute little bar right next to the CME group. And I got to meet all of Ted's colleagues and some people from Zaner Ag Hedge. So it was really great to just connect with some faces that I've heard names to, but didn't really know them. Yeah, that's good. It is always good to uh, yeah. to shake a hand and look somebody in the eye, especially when, you know, right. in our case, we've been talking to Ted now for coming up on four months here on the podcast. Yeah. And yeah, it's good for you to, to connect with him. Yeah, it was fun. Now, Delaney, if it's all right, I would like to read through the closing markets and let's see what those reports did to the trade today. It looks like it was a little bit more of the same. Those movements that were started post-report continued on through the closing. Let's look at the grains. In the corn pit, July, old crop corn closed up 10 and a quarter cents at 3.70 even. December corn closed up 11 and a quarter, finished the day at 3.91 and a quarter. In soybeans, the July contract up 27 cents, closed at 9.42 and a half. November beans up 31 cents, finished the day at 9.55 and three quarters. In the world of wheat, let's look at Chicago wheat first. The July contract, Chicago closed up 29 and a quarter, finished at 509 and a half. December wheat up 28 and a half cents, finished at 544 even. Now, the real driver in the wheat market over the past couple weeks, as we've been talking about, is that Minneapolis spring wheat. So let's take a look. The July Minneapolis spring wheat contract closed up 35 and a quarter cents, finished the day at 776 and a half. September spring wheat closed up 39 cents, finishing at 778 and a half. So there are those big moves started during the report, continued on through with strong closes across the board. Now let's look at the world of livestock. In live cattle, the August contract dropped 20 cents, finishing at 116.30. The October contract up 22.5, finishing at 115.20. In feeder cattle, the August feeder cattle contract up 75 cents, closed at 147.92.5. September feeders up 82.5 cents, closing at 148.02.5. In lean hogs, here we go. We've talked to Jim Burns a couple times about this. Boom, target hit. The July contract closed up $1.15. Finishing the day above $90 at $90.62 and a half. The August contract on a strong move as well, up $3, closing at $83.75. In milk, the July contract was unchanged from yesterday, finishing at 50. Look, pick up. In milk, the July Class 3 contract was unchanged from yesterday, finishing at $15.70. The August contract up $0.16, cents, closing at $16.50. 57. A lot of green in the world of the commodity markets today. All right, Mike. Well, now I want to kick it back to Amanda DeYoung, who is the senior policy advisor for the Iowa Corn Growers Association. We talked to her this week at FarmHer, but we felt a little bit of her policy might be better suited to come in another day. So let's kick it over to Amanda, who is going to chat with us about what to expect for big policy changes in the next year. Now, let's take a step back. We've got a lot happening in Washington, D.C. currently. Oh, yeah. As you mentioned, the protests that are going on, this health care debate that really is going to be brewing for quite a little while. But putting health care aside, it sounds like we're going to be talking about tax reform, regulatory reform, and infrastructure. Of those three issues... What do you think is going to make the most headway in D.C.? Are we going to get close to doing any of those three things? I mean, obviously, health care uh, for, for Congress is going to be a big test. Um, if, if Congress can successfully put together a, a health care bill that the Senate can pass and that the House can pass, that they can jointly conference and get across the president's desk, 
that's going to be a major milestone, not only for Congress, but for this administration. And it's going to definitely empower them to be able to do some of these major things that they've talked about, infrastructure in particular. Um, that's going to be a huge lift. We're talking about potentially a trillion dollars in both public and private investment. Um, same with tax reform. Um, you know, tax reform is not as easy um, as, as some people um, might present it as. Um, and so major, any kind of major reform is really going to be contingent on how well, I would say, this health care bill goes. Now, that caveat is regulatory reform, because regulatory reform can be done a lot of times without the help of Congress. And this administration definitely seems committed. Um, the EPA, for example, is undertaking a review of all of their current rules. Um, so, so organizations, farmers, we all have an opportunity right now to be heard by EPA, USDA, fill in the blank about the agency you might care about um, to convey what is pressing, what are you worried about, um, what are changes in regula regulations that we might need to see. I think that's something that, that is definitely going to happen. From an Iowa corn perspective, uh, we've seen waters of the U.S. at least go onto the back burner for the next couple of years. What regula what regulations exist today that farmers should be making their voice heard on? Does Iowa corn have a, a list out there that we need to be making noise about right now? Yeah, we definitely work on a lot of different regulatory issues. Um, one that's going to be coming, um, it's a new regulation. Congress passed a food labeling law last year, a GMO labeling bill. Um, the rules, USDA is going to be writing those rules over the next year, so we have to have a, we have to take time to make sure that within the confines of the law, of course, um, USDA does have a lot of discretion, and so we're going to have to get our message out to USDA about how we think um, biotech labeling should happen. Another issue that we're working on, which is um, sort of more, and I'll call it in the positive sense, a positive regulation, is EPA regulates all of our fuels. Um, that includes ethanol and gasoline. And the only way for us to be able to sell higher blends, like E15 year-round, is for EPA to lift a regulation that bans the sale from um, June 1 through September 15th. So we're going to be working with this administration um, as well on what we would consider positive regulations that are going to help us promote ethanol um, more, now, more nationwide. While we're talking about E15, so I drive a truck, and I always fill it up with E15. It's savings at the gas pump, and I'm using corn. Uh, my truck's a 2001 model, so it's not a flex fuel. Right. I was reading the sticker on the gas tank there, and after June 1, it looks like I'm breaking some federal laws. Is that true? Are you asking me to comment on that? Well, uh, I'm just asking, the, the law? have they ever <laughs> prosecuted somebody not for filling I, up? Not okay. that I am aware of. Okay. Um, the, the, federal, the federal regulation does require um, that in the summer driving months, which unfortunately is the biggest driving season of the year, yes. um, E15 is prohibited in almost the entire country, its sale. And so that's one of the big regulations that we are trying um, to uh, get through with this administration is to lift that ban, um, create a, a waiver that is granted to other fuels like E10 um, that actually has, um, E15 actually has a lower volatility than E10, but it's sort of an arcane, um, not very common sense rule. Uh, okay. So we're working to try to get that lifted so that legally you could be putting E15 okay. into your truck, your 2001 and newer <laughs> truck. Yeah, it is. It's an 01. Uh, yes. Year-round. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Are there I'm, any other big policy things that Iowa Corn Growers is pushing through for the next couple of years during President Trump's presidency? Yes, there is. Um, trade is obviously probably one of the largest drivers right now for our organization, and I'll just be honest, for agriculture as a whole across this country. Uh, our, we have such an integrated uh, value uh, and transportation system within North America that has developed since 1994 when we passed the North America Free Trade Agreement. 
Uh, Mexico and Canada are our biggest customers in the in corn, beef, pork, ethanol, DDGs. Uh, you know, the major Iowa products are so dependent on this relationship with these two countries. And so, for us, uh, we are definitely as loud as we can advocating for preserving the market access that we have with these two countries. We're not opposed to trying to modernize the agreement. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's 23 years old. A lot of things have happened, especially in data and technology that we as farmers use too, um, that probably need to be updated and addressed in this agreement. We just don't want to see agriculture uh, really uh, take any take any hits, so to speak. Right. Uh, we want to try to protect that market access. And, and, and frankly, um, growing new markets is also going to be important to us. We need to preserve the markets that we have, uh, but we're also investing a lot of time and resources into pursuing um, and supporting this administration as they look at new agreements potentially with Japan or the UK. Just one more question. Infrastructure. We've heard a lot about it. Hillary proposed $500 billion during the, uh, the campaign. Trump doubled down. We're going to go a trillion. Have you seen, have you heard any rumblings about where those dollars might go if this infrastructure plan does come to fruition. Yeah, so the president was just here um, in Cedar Rapids last week. He talked quite a bit about infrastructure. You know, he talked about roads and airports and broadband. The one thing that he did leave out in his speech was waterways, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And for Iowa and a lot of the inland United States, um, it is the lowest cost, most efficient way to move our, uh, move our products. And unfortunately, in a system, uh, if you look at the whole transportation system, it's the only area that's really not completely tapped out right now. We have overcapacity in rail, tr obviously trucking. I just used the example of drive down I-80. Um, should, should probably be three lanes just for all the trucks and, and goods that we're moving um, constantly across our, uh, across our interstate highway system. So infrastructure is going to be really challenging, and funding for that infrastructure is going to be really challenging. However, um, our four, you know, um, our grandparents and great-grandparents' generation were brave enough and were able to step up in a really tough economic time um, as a nation and make the investments in infrastructure that have propelled the United States to be the most competitive nation um, in the world. And sometimes uh, making hard decisions like this is exactly what we need to get our economy going, to keep rural economies strong. Uh, we just need to make sure that it's a sh that it's shared. shared in a proportional way because um, obviously in rural communities, um, we supply things that the rest of the nation relies and depends upon, but we don't have the population to necessarily be able to pay for all of the infrastructure needs that we have that serve the rest of the country. And so we just um, are conveying that message to Congress and to the administration um, that don't forget about rural America. We're important too. Amanda, we appreciate your time today, and uh, we hope you enjoy the rest of your Farm Her conference. Happy to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Amanda, for taking the time to share that with us. And once again, that was Amanda DeYoung from the Iowa Corn Growers. And Delaney, we're getting ready to wrap up this week. We're heading towards the weekend, a 4th of July weekend. For some people, a four-day weekend. Mm -hmm. And what do we have going on next week? Let's see. Next week, we'll obviously be talking markets on the Monday. On Monday, Tuesday, we're sorry, guys. We're probably going to take that day off to celebrate the Fourth of July. That's right. Fireworks are legal in Iowa now, boys and girls. <laughs> I know that's crazy. We're going to come back on Wednesday, and I I hope to have all my fingers. Good. <laughs> well, Wednesday, I think we're uh, going to be talking about the Info Ag Conference again, and one of the representatives for that. And then I have some interviews from 
some brokers and some guys involved with the CME group that I think will probably air for everyone next week. We just had a really informal conversation and got to ask some fun questions. So be sure and stay tuned next week. That sounds fantastic, Delaney. And with all that being said, what do you say? We wish everybody a, a happy weekend, a safe weekend, and of course, celebrate the 4th of July next Tuesday. And let's let the people go. Let's let them go.